Therefore, my plea to all of those who have uh, some power in this world, to all of those who are in important political positions in the world, please, please, stop conflicts and wars. Please, for our children, for our future. To Gianni Infantino, I would just like to say, please, please stop cozying up to human rights abusers and say something about Qatar. Please, please, for the sake of all our sanity. Welcome to episode 55 of the Anglo-Italian pod, ladies and gentlemen. As always, I'm Tommaso and I'm joined by my very good friend and co-host, Mr... Rory! How are we doing, listeners? Tommy, how are you? I'm doing great. That uh, that clip that we just played, I hadn't heard it. And honestly, my Thursday was much better before I heard this bunch of bullshit strung together by just like, I don't know. It sounds like the speech that the usual, you know, like miss, like the most attractive girl in the country when she's given the award that she says to the audience. Didn't you get those vibes? Yeah, massively. Like, I just wish for world peace, despite the fact that I'm taking money from all of the people who ensure there's no world peace. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's um, the levels of how many ways I want to tell that guy to go fuck himself is honestly getting more and more creative by the day. Um, yeah, I can only imagine. Also, the yeah, yeah. There, there would be so much to say, and uh, I'm very happy because at school I'm a conversation English conversation teacher. And with uh, each of my classes at high school, we pick the topic to really do like journalistic work on. Mm-hmm. And uh, in one class, they picked the Qatar World Cup. And oh, wow. uh, we have started, we have just, we're just at the tip of the iceberg and it's already gotten extremely grim. And to see these students that usually really don't care about what we talk about, they're just like, but why are they allowing the World Cup to happen yeah. there? And I'm just like, yep. Uh, good question. <laughs> good, <laughs> good question. Good question. Because creams, uh, cash rules everything around me. Cream, get the money. Dollar, dollar bill, yo. But ladies and gentlemen, before we start, remember to follow us on Instagram at AngloItalianPod and on Twitter at ItalianAngloPod and to give a little follow to our sponsor at Sports Club Maps. In today's episode, of course, we are going to talk about the Qatar World Cup As you listeners are listening to us on a Friday, the draw is today, and you will know. I'm very excited about this. You will know what the groups will look like, but we're going to review the last match days in the European, African, South American, and North American qualifiers. And then in our weekly topic, we are going to take a look at the finish of the season in both the Serie A and the Premier League because club football is back. And especially in Italy, I want to say, it's super exciting. But even the race between Liverpool and Manchester City, I think it's going to be something. And there is the Liverpool versus Man City, right? Well, this is it, exactly. We are at the home stretch. We've rounded the last bend. We can see the finish line. This analogy is running out of pace. Um, So we are going to be looking at all of the game. Well, all of the games are going to be breaking down what we think will happen. And as you know, listeners, none of it will be right. So pay as much attention as you like, really. 
Before we start, I just wanted to mention a great picture that uh, was kind of like bouncing around the social media this week. In uh, central Italy, um, some uh, restoration work was being done in a church in Ascoli Piceno, and um, they had to go onto the roof of the church to do some uh, restoration work, and they pulled down something like 55 footballs <laughs> that had piled up there throughout the years. And honestly, it's just a little picture of this old medieval Italian square filled with balls. And it really reminded me of the town where I grew up, Osimo. It was kind of emotional. I, it reminded me of all the times that we played with my friends, like, and the sun was going down. And then you look at the clock and you're like, oh, shit, my parents are going to kill me. I need to run back home. So I don't know, <laughs> really brought back the, the feeling of those days. I feel like it really brings into stark contrast for me how different our surroundings were when we grew up. Like, I used to play football on a car park, which was next to a railway warehouse. Um, it was like, and you're playing in this really idyllic medieval square with a ancient clock and the church. Yeah, it's definitely... I know which one I prefer. Yeah, yeah, and it was also also quite dangerous because there are a lot of statues and just things that mm-hmm. you, things made in stone that you could easily break if you don't aim right. In my experience, I never broke anything, but I'm sure across Italy there are plenty of people that will tell you. Just let me tell you a story, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rory. If we haven't got anything to add, I think we're ready to jump to the Euro review and take a look at this uh, World Cup that is happening in only. Six months, less than six months. That's very exciting. I believe it. It's a bit mad. It'll be here before you know it. Seven months. So without further ado, let's jump on our blimp and take a look at the World Cup qualifiers. Qatar, Germany, Denmark, Brazil, France, Belgium, Croatia, Spain... Serbia, England, Switzerland, Netherlands, Argentina, Iran, Korea Republic, Japan, Saudi Arabia, Ecuador, Uruguay, Canada, Ghana, Senegal, Portugal, Poland, Tunisia, Morocco, Cameroon, USA, Mexico, and three more spots to be decided. Ladies and gentlemen, we are getting there. The World Cup is coming soon. Rory, levels of excitement? You can take a breath now, Tommy. Jeez, I was expecting that. Do you know the um, oh that cartoon where they do the song with every country of the world? We should oh, have yeah. done that. <laughs> we should have. We should have planned it more. Yes, I'm very, very excited. Um, obviously, every time we talk about this World Cup, sorry, that's my dog. Um, every time we talk about this World Cup, there is always the thing in the back of your head of like where it is everything around it right but we're just for now we're going to talk about it as a football tournament then we'll talk about everything else when it is kind of appropriate or when it comes up if you know what I mean but for now we're going to focus on the football football wise I'm very excited despite it being at Christmas I don't know if this is going to make it better or worse what do you think Tommy it being over Christmas I just think it's going to be cold, you know, like that there isn't, I, I associate <laughs> Correct. the world. Well, not in I, Qatar, but yeah. No, exactly. I associate the World Cup to warmth and just like being in a t-shirt and like spend, watching the game and then spending the entire night out with your friends. I think it's going to be different. There's going to be work too. You're going to be watching games mm-hmm. and the next day you have to go into work. Um, but yeah, it's going to be unique. Let's say I would have preferred it with Italy and in summer. <laughs> well, but yeah. since since we can't get it, but Rory, let me ask you for the first time in the second season of the Anglo Italian Pod, 
I'm going to put you on the spot, my friend. Is it coming home? Of course it is. Of course it bloody is. (laughs) Of course it is. I've already got three lions as my alarm. I'm just getting warmed up. I'm just getting warmed up. Honestly, before we actually review the the final matches uh, to decide uh, the World Cup qualifiers, do you think that England actually have got a chance to... uh, They have a saying among all these good teams that I've just mentioned? I think, yeah. I think, yeah. I think we've seen progress over the last two tournaments, right? Reaching the semi-finals then reaching the final but losing we've seen progress and i think the as well as the team progressing and maturing and getting better i think the manager is as well i think southgate has made a few mistakes like in croatia in the semi-final against croatia he didn't react in extra time he was too conservative and croatia won it where the where the game was there to be won then in the final in for the euros he was like we were really proactive first half we were like all over Italy and we were really trying to be the protagonist but then he didn't adapt to the changes that Mancini made at half time he didn't react quick enough and then that's where the game was lost ultimately I think and I think we can see Southgate learning on the job and the players learning on the job so to speak um so I think we have definitely got a chance I don't want to get my hopes up too much because I'm I keep looking over to South America and I'm like there's two very, very scary teams coming over from South America. Um, so even if we ignore the fact that there's France, <laughs> right? Even if we ignore that for a moment, the fact that Brazil and Argentina are there does make me think, okay, let's not get too ahead of ourselves. But I do think I would expect semifinals, really. A lot of big names are going to be watching the tournament from the couch of their homes, including Arturo Vidal, Mohamed Salah, Marco Verratti, Victor Osiman, David Alaba, Luis Diaz, Riyad Maretz, and a name that is, we're going to bring you a stat that is quite crazy, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Now, Zlatan Ibrahimovic... Uh, has never quite like Sweden in the last four editions of the World Cup. The only time that they've qualified was when Ibrahimovic had temporarily retired from the job. When you sent me that stat, I couldn't believe it. But I just, you know, the guy has a knack of doing this, right? He's made an art of avoiding Champions League wins. So why would he not avoid qualifying for World Cups? It's pretty crazy, though. And it kind of maybe it's another, um, a bit of proof towards you know when you have that one talismanic player it kind of is in the detriment to the rest of the team and like when he's not there yeah. you can actually play a bit more as a team he hasn't played a world cup since 2006 and he's never going to play one again i'm assuming uh and he has never scored a single goal at the world cup one of the greatest players of our generation zlatan ibrahimovic so let's start in europe exactly rory what happened north macedonia stopped finally against portugal what a quite comfortable 2-0 win with a brace from bruno fernandes what do you tell us about this game Bruno Fernandes got his first goals for Portugal that weren't in a friendly or against Luxembourg. Uh, Pretty crazy stat. (laughs) But yeah, he got two goals um, to see the Portuguese through. Now, this is a squad that we've talked about a lot in terms of how much talent they have between Jota, Ronaldo, Bernardo Silva, like Diaz. I've only got so much time. They have lots of very good players. What concerns me with this team, I think they could be a dark horse 
but their manager. Now, they had a pretty terrible Euros, right? They qualified. They were in a very difficult group with that Hungary, Germany, France, and Portugal group. They qualified on four points. So they qualified in the third place. And then they went out to Belgium straight away in a 1-0 loss. And I feel like since um, Fernando Santos has won them the Euros in 2000 and, my God, whenever it was, 16, um, they haven't really changed. They haven't really moved on. And his system has been found out. So as good as the Portuguese are or as good as their squad is, I think they might have a disappointing tournament. I think the the time for them to replace their manager was a while ago, and they still haven't acted. Even in their qualifying, they only just beat Ireland with Ronaldo scoring in the 90th and 95th minute. They drew to Ireland. Then they lost that crucial game to Serbia to mean that they had to go to the playoffs. I think they've got there, but they've not been convincing, like not at all. I agree um, with, you. with the squad they have. You would expect uh, something more. And uh, Cristiano Ronaldo hasn't scored for Portugal in four consecutive games. Um, age catching up, maybe. I think his his career is not where he wants it to be right now, <laughs> either at club level or country. I think he's just what's going on Manchester United. I think is distracting him quite a lot. I think he's getting very frustrated, and I think he's starting to kind of throw his dummy out the pram a little bit, um, and maybe that's affecting his form. Um, so, yeah, Portugal will be there. Unlucky North Macedonia, they still had that incredible night, which will go down in their history forever, right? At Italy's expense, obviously. Sorry, yeah. Johnny. It's um, going down in our history, too. So well, yeah, 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 yeah. The, the yeah. footballing history of two countries at the same time. Well, it's arguably one of the biggest upsets of international football of all time. Um but yeah, ultimately for them, they kind of they ran out of road. Um, but they're a, like we've seen, they're a very good team, able to beat any team on their day. Um, and I'm sure it won't be the last we hear of them. Elsewhere in Europe, the other final we had was Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Sweden, taking on Robert Lewandowski's Poland. Lewandowski did score. Zielinski getting the second goal to make it 2-0. Poland make it to the World Cup. This is their first World Cup since 2000 and... Well, they missed the last one. So 2018? No, wait. 2018 was the last one, right? 2014? 2014 was their last World Cup. Okay. Yes. (laughs) Um, No, 2018 was their last World Cup. Shut up. Right. 2018 was their last World Cup. Welcome to the Anglo-Italian pod, ladies and gentlemen. It's (laughs) Tomas and Rory, and we're here for you. What's good? All right. God. 2018 was the last World Cup. Um, but speaking of players who have never scored at the World Cup, Lewandowski's only played at one and he's yet to score a World Cup goal. So hopefully this time he'll be hoping he can get a goal. For Poland, they've not got past the group stage of a World Cup since 1986. Um, and it's the first time they've qualified for back-to-back World Cup since 2002-2006. So really good for Poland. Um, they've got the new manager. I'm going to try and say this name right. Um, Czesław Michniewicz. Adam will correct me if that was wrong. Um, he's won the extra classer with Zagliby Lubin and Legio Warsaw. He's come in because Paolo Sosa quit. Um, so he could go back to Spain. He was uh, back to South America even, sorry. Um, and he was crying after the match. He was so happy to take his team to the World Cup. And he, the football they were playing seemed to be much more expansive, trying to pass, a lot more possession-based. And they've got a few young players that you should really be keeping an eye out on. Um, Moda from Brighton, Shimansky from Dinamo Moscow, FM legend, unbelievable player. Um, 
Kamil Piakowski from Red Bull Salzburg and Kasper Kozłowski. So there's a really young core of players there. If they can mix it with the Lewandowskis and the Szczesnys, the more experienced players, I think Poland could have a pretty good tournament. But yeah, really happy for my ex-home um, to be at the World Cup. One of your ex-homes, right? Exactly. Rory, Rory the Traveler. One day we shall see also the glorious nation of Kazakhstan at the World Cup. One day, one day the eagles will rise. One day. Let's uh, should we cross the ocean and go to South America uh, and then bounce back to Africa and finally North America? Vamos. Vamos. Let's go to South America when we're unfortunately my boys of Chile did not make it. Their last two matches in the World Cup qualifiers were two losses, a grand total of six goals conceded across two games and zero goals scored. We have mentioned it already. Um, the Chilean national team is a dangerous mix of old players and experience and very young players with not that much international experience. It wasn't even close in these last few fixtures. And uh, I think, just like Italy, it's probably a good moment to sit down and assess and try mm. to build on this new generation. I'm very sorry for my Chilean friends. Um, however, I did talk to some of them before the game against Uruguay, and they were just like, there is no way we are winning that game. And at that point, the it was just for the honor at that point mm -hmm. because they couldn't qualify. In the first of the two fixtures, Brazil, of course, thrashed them with four goals. Colombia are the other big name that doesn't go through in South America. And for them, I think that there are going to be a few games that they're going to go to look back at and be like, damn it, we should have won those. One of which was the one nil loss against Colombia. A lot of like very a lot of nil-nil draws for Colombia in the World Cup qualifiers. Mm. And it's a, it's a shame because I really wanted to see Luis Diaz playing on the international stage. I'm sure they'll be back. I'm sure they'll be back. He is a very exciting player. But while, just because you mentioned Brazil, I need to very quickly drop a bit of Arsenal propaganda in. This week, Dani Alves and a few other Brazilian players have been describing Martinelli as all phenomenal And the only other players they've described as all phenomenal are Ronaldo and Neymar. There you go. Arsenal picked up. Look, since we, we still have to talk about the nation that is going... Actually, let's talk about them and then jump back to Brazil. Peru with a name that Italians know very well. Ooh. La Padula getting the goal that arguably sent them to the playoffs for the World Cup. They win 2-0 against Paraguay with goals from Lapadula and Yotun. However, ladies and gentlemen, if you listen to the previous episode, I have some bad news. I did look for my yellow underwear and I no. haven't found it yet. I do have some clothes stored in some wardrobes <laughs> up in here in my living room. I will check, but I might have lost them. In case I should have a picture from back in the day of the underwear. Oh, lucky us. But look, really, by the by, how how do you say in English when something happens at the very last moment by the scruff of the neck? Not by the, the skin of your teeth. Yeah, they they qualify to the playoffs by the skin of their teeth because the previous two games before the win against Paraguay, they had drawn against Ecuador and lost against mm -hmm. Uruguay. They've been they quite lucky. They've been they, quite lucky. 
they they had to win and they did win indeed and ladies and gentlemen i'm gonna say it with italy missing out on the world cup this boy is going to back brazil all the way the football they have been playing going for the underdog tommy yeah going for the underdog (laughs) look i mean they haven't won they haven't won a world cup in four editions they are the only nation to uh to never miss on a world cup aside from being the one with most world cup titles with five and look the football that they are playing is just sexy it's everything that an impartial football fan Mm -hmm. wants to see the fact that Neymar said that this is... I think that Neymar is more of a fighter than what we think. And I think that he's much more appreciated in his country than he is appreciated in Europe as a player. So the fact... I think that the fact that he said this might be his last World Cup mm-hmm. is of great motivation for this core of young upcoming players to be like, right, this guy was the biggest talent we had seen until, since Ronaldo. We are going to help him lift that World Cup so that Danny can retire in peace. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're right. We saw how much Neymar meant to them uh, when they hosted the World Cup, with which I think was a bit over the top with the shirts with his name on the back and stuff. But you can see how much of an icon he is in that country. Like anyone who grows up in the circumstances he's grown up in and has become a professional footballer is not going to be soft. You're going to be a pretty hard and determined, strong individual, right? Um, regardless of how you've strongly you feel about your sister but i think <laughs> even even we even with england in the tournament if i saw martinelli win the win the world cup i think i would actually cry i would be i really 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 would want him to win it i think this is a brazil team that is very very exciting and it's like it's brazil classic they're not playing the like dour pragmatic football that Dunga had them playing and the few managers in between. Now they're being like, no, we are Brazil. We'll do Brazil. And it's great to see. It's absolutely terrifying. Their attack is terrifying. Look, I watched the highlights of the game against uh, Bolivia and the the ease with which they found the open man was Mm -hmm. ridiculous. It was. It felt like you were playing with a PlayStation controller. You were. I, I was watching the highlights, and I was just like, "All right, you pass it to the left, you pass it to the middle. Look, open guy, goal." All the four goals were like that. They've scored twelve. They had already qualified, but they've just give. They've taken no prisoners in the last three games. They scored four goals in each. In total, in seventeen games of the World Cup qualification for Conmebol, they've scored. 40 goals, conceded five, won 14 games, drawn three, and lost zero. But they are in good company because Argentina, fueled by especially a certain Lautaro Martinez, also haven't lost a single game. They've won 11, drawn six, scored 27 goals, and conceded eight. Messi's last dance, arguably. Do you think Argentina have a chance to lift it? I think they definitely do. And what we're seeing, it's really fascinating. We're seeing Messi at PSG where he kind of strolls around and he looks a bit disinterested and he's not playing. And then he goes to Argentina and he just balls out. And you can see that he just, this means more to him. He's actually playing expressively. He's like doing his little tricks, his little runs, his little passes. It's like, old Messi again you can see that for Argentina it's still him 
he is still there. Um, and I think as long as he's in the team, they've definitely got a chance. As well as players like Di Maria, Martinez, they've got like a really good, strong core of players there. I think this is the biggest shout for a while that there'll be a South American winner. I think the last couple of World Cups, both Brazil and Argentina haven't quite been there. I think we're heading into this World Cup with both those teams very, very strong. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally agreed. And now it's time to go possibly to the most fun and the messiest World Cup qualification over in Africa, where the Egypt players had to take penalties as if they were in the middle of a a club, of a nightclub with the stroboscopic lights. I've definitely, I've definitely had that experience in Manchester a few times. Uh, <laughs> just blinded, staring up at the ceiling. Um, yeah, okay. In Africa, it's all gone a bit mad. Um, let's start with Egypt, um, Cameroon. So, no, Egypt, Senegal. Damn it, I've done it again, Tommy. You were looking at the flag? Were you looking at the flag without <laughs> no, looking at the name of the country? No, that was just completely, in my head, I thought, right, don't get the wrong one. Cameroon. No, damn it, right? So I Egypt. do it I do it with so many students at school. I'm like, okay, Tommaso, today you're not gonna mix up John and the uh, Jack. As soon as you walk in the class, you're like, John, actually, my name is Jack. Damn it. <laughs> All right. Damn it. So Senegal, Egypt, the rematch of the FCON final that your boys of the Anglican pod covered live was yet another win for the Senegalese. Rory, take us through it. And it was one in the exact same way, a Mane winning penalty. But this time, Salah didn't wait to take the penalty. He waited. He took the first one and he skies it over the bar. Now, obviously, the, the main headline from this was all the laser pens. Like, it was ridiculous, the laser pens. Um, and it's kind of opened up a wider conversation about what, the security statuses in African football grounds. Now, obviously, we had that disaster during the AFCOM where eight people died, I think, uh, lots of people injured. And now, in this round of World Cup qualifying, we had Nigerian fans running onto the pitch. We'll get onto it. We had the Senegalese fans with laser pens, racist banners, throwing rocks and bottles at the Egyptian players during the warm-up. Like, there's real serious questions about the, the state of the, the security in African stadiums. And unfortunately, for this whole qualification now, I'm going to be talking about refereeing and the crowds. We are not going to be talking about the football. Um, look, overall, Senegal deserved to go through. They were the better team over the two ties. Carlos Quiros refuses to play football that isn't the most cynical football I've ever seen in my life. If he could have... 10 seconds of the ball in play over 90 minutes, that would be his wet dream. Like, he is the most cynical manager. I'm I'm sorry, Salah, but I'm incredibly happy Egypt aren't there because it means it's three games in the World Cup that aren't going to be ruined. Like, they just play terrible football. Whereas Senegal, I think there's an argument that they are one of the greatest African teams or one of the best African teams we've seen coming into a World Cup. Now, not only do they have the arguably the best goalkeeper in the world, they've got one of the top five, top two centre-backs in the world. Mm-hmm. They've got one of the top strikers in the world who's won everything. Mm-hmm. And they've got a core of players around that who are incredibly good. I think this is an African team that is, if you think of the great African teams, you think of the 94 Nigerian team, or you think of the Cameroon team in 90, 
the Algeria team in 86. But I think this Senegalese team, they have a lot of players at their peak and their peak is also at the peak of the world. It's not like Carnu, it's Mane, if you know what I mean. It's it's not Joseph Yobo, it's Koulibaly. Like they've just got that extra bit. And I think this is a team that could really, really go far in the tournament. Um, Maybe they'll match Ghana's record. Uh, Maybe they'll go further. But I think this is a team that anybody in the tournament would be terrified to face. We saw how impressive they were in the AFCON and they're coming in in really good shape. And let's not forget the drippiest manager in the game of football. Exactly. But unfortunately, the Egyptian FA has now pressed complaints um, about the laser pens, about the fans, about the racist abuse, which is good. That's what they should be doing. Um, But CAF have had a busy week because they've also got complaints from Algeria. So... Algeria, I'm really sorry, Dean Ami. I'm really sorry. I really looked like you were going to go through, and I thought I thought you'd do it, but they lost 2-1 at home to Cameroon, ultimately losing on away goals. Oh, now the amount of the amount of events in this game. So the Algerian FA have now lodged a complaint to FIFA for the game to be replayed, right? Mm. Because the manager, uh, no, the man, the referee, Bakari Papagasama had an absolute shocker, but also a suspicious shocker. Let's say that. So this is the same manager that sent off Carlos Queros at AFCON. Um, So he's definitely got a bit of track record of, you know, doing what he likes. Um, But the first goal. So um, Cameroon opened the scoring through Chupo Moting. The goalkeeper, Mboli, he, he drops the ball. But the Algerian defender, Mandy, is pushed into him so that he drops the ball. Um, so the ball drops, Chupo Moting scores, it goes to VAR. Now, the German VAR officials apparently told the ref to disallow the goal, but he didn't. He gave a goal. Oh, shit. If that is it not gets, suspicious, again. It, it gets worse. <laughs> so then as the game goes on, Belayli misses a sitter for Algeria, um, and Bolly makes two great saves. And then late on in the game, there's a blatant handball from a Cameroonian defender in the penalty box, penalty not given. That was ridiculous. That one, that to me was the most ridiculous decision of the entire game. It's incredible how he doesn't give it. Then it goes to extra time. Slimani scores and it's disallowed for handball. Now, if the Cameroonian player wasn't a handball, then this one definitely isn't a handball. If the Cameroonian player, like, it's the inconsistency. Either neither of them are handball or both of them are handball, right? Yeah. Anyway, it goes to VAR. The VAR screen says goal, decision goal, but the referee disallows the goal. Then, as the game goes on, Algeria defend terribly and Toto Akambe scores in the 124th minute of extra time. There are question marks over whether four minutes extra time was a bit too much. Having not watched the entirety of the game, I only watched the second half. Um, I think four minutes was quite generous. Cameroon go through. Congratulations to Cameroon. But maybe the game will be replayed. There is precedent for this because in 2018, South Africa versus Senegal was replayed as uh, referee Joseph Lamptey of Ghana was banned for life after it found out he'd been match-fixing. Um, he awarded a non-existent penalty on Koulibaly. Um, so that, and then the game was replayed. 
Senegal won and they went to the World Cup. So there is precedent for it. I think this one might rumble on for a while. Um, annoying that we can't talk about the football. Yeah. Uh, Bakari Papagasama, however, I have to say one thing. Brave man. He did all of this against Algeria in Algeria. In Algeria. So some balls <laughs> yeah. for the guy. I don't know. I mean, if I was him, no matter the money that I have received, like I would be worried about my life. That but stadium be- was full five hours before kickoff. Like yeah, I yeah, told yeah. you in the last episode, the fans were queuing for weeks to get tickets. Like this, they were not going to, they haven't taken this well. They have not taken this well. Yeah, I can, I can only imagine. However, with a very strong inter bias, I have to say that we've been very loud whenever Onana has played like shit. Mm-hmm. And in this game, Onana had a few incredible saves. He did. Of he course, did. of yeah. course, Cameroon, as we've just said, did not qualify only thanks to those saves, but it feels like he's picking up his form again mm-hmm. after the one-year ban, again after the howler at the AFCON, after the howler at the Amsterdam at the Cruyff Arena in Amsterdam. So that was beautiful to see from an Inter supporter. Um, just and on that night, I was talking to a guy who is a former goalkeeper, and I've talked to him about coming to the pod, and he said that he would be keen. Um, mm-hmm. He's a little worried about his English, but I was just like, man, come on, just jump on. And uh, man, for me, the, the biggest regret that I have, honestly, this is the biggest regret of my childhood, is to have never played football at a club. I would have loved okay. to be a goalkeeper. And just to hear this guy talk te- goalkeeper technique, I was just drooling. He was <laughs> telling me, he was describing every style that the, the most famous goalkeepers have and I was just okay, like please nice. keep going keep going keep going and he's an, <laughs> he's an AC Milan fan and he was telling me on the in that moment Onana was playing the game we weren't watching but it was just like if I was an Inter fan I would be slightly worried about Onana of course the next morning I sent him the article and he was like dude just watch the highlights it wasn't Onana it was the referee yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah, I was like yeah. all right well whatever just just let me just let me bask in it for a second. I think, I think the attribute on Football Manager is eccentricity, and I think Onana's eccentricity is quite high. Um, he does just do what he likes every so often. But the last game we're going to talk about in Africa is, of course, the Joloff Derby. It was finally settled with a one-all draw and gonna <laughs> win on away goals because away goals still count in CAF. And Thomas Partey Captain Thomas Partey for Ghana sees his team through. He has now played six games as captain. He's scored in five of those games, and three of those goals have come from outside the area. He is yet to lose as captain. Please bring some of this goal-scoring form to Arsenal, Thomas, especially from outside the area. The place is going to explode when you finally ping one into the top corner. But he opened the scoring. Uh, Trusta Kong penalty for Nigeria leveled the scores. But with the away goals rule, Nigeria needed to push for that extra goal. Osimen had a goal disallowed for, <laughs> honestly, the ref could have taken his pick on what event he wanted to disallow this goal for. There was two fouls in the build-up and arguably a handball from Osimen as he went through. So it definitely was a disallowed goal. Um, but he also seemed intent on only scoring a worldie. He kept just trying bicycle kicks and overhead kicks. Yeah, Mama, just concentrate on getting the ball in the net. Like, I love it. I love your spirit. But 
just maybe a straightforward header would have got the job done. Like, but and the Nigerian the Nigerian fans took it with philosophy, right? They were like, "We didn't qualify oh, they, for the World Cup, Halas, it will be the next one, right?" And they just left the stadium in orderly fashion, clapping their team. If they, no, exactly, they it was all very very graceful in this derby. Um, it descended into absolute chaos. There was a pitch invasion at the end. The fans smashed up the dugout. Um, the Ghanaian fans had to be escorted out of the stadium and escorted onto a plane, basically. They were just taken out of the country straight away. Um, some really awful stories. The police had to use tear gas eventually to disperse the crowds. There was a story of a Zambian doctor who was working for CAF who was beaten to death, apparently. Um, he was having health problems and he was rushed into an ambulance. He was attacked by the crowd, unfortunately. He passed away in the ambulance. This is a story, again, that is going to go on for a while. Um, and rightly so. There's been complaints from the Ghanaian FA. The CAF have to do something about the state of the security at their stadiums. They have to do something about modernizing or having more staff or, I don't know, just something that is going to make these games more more safe for people and more safe for the players. Like, Mohamed Salah had to be protected as he was going down the tunnel because things were thrown at him. I know this is something we're also seeing in the Premier League. Simeone had things thrown at him literally last week. So I think maybe it's something that global football needs to look at. But I think with this trend, especially with it all happening this week in, in Africa and across the AFCON, we have problems. I think they just need to look at their security a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I just think the difference with uh, the, the problems that we have with the crowd sometimes in Europe is that it feels like it can be easily, quite easily contained. While in Africa, it feels like a spark could create right. an absolute explosion. Um, the the images were absolutely despicable and deplorable uh, from this mm -hmm. from the pitch invasion. But it also looked like invading that pitch was the next easiest thing in the yeah. world. Yeah, you yeah, just yeah. literally had to hop a banner and just you were in the pitch and you could do. Well, the thing, the, the truth is, it's easy at every stadium. If everybody decides to do it at Anfield. There's nothing they can do. No staff in the world can stop you. You're outnumbered. Mm -hmm. It's just, I, so I don't know how you prevent it. I don't know what you do. Like, this is why I'm not working for a governing body. But I think it's something that, <laughs> it's something that needs to be looked at and it's concerning because it is like just the safety issues are insane so yeah unfortunately we've not been able to talk about the football at all really but the teams that are going through um we have um ghana going through we have cameroon going through we have senegal going through we have morocco going through after beating dr congo 4-1 um, the Manahi first goal is beautiful. Hakimi gets the fourth, I think. Um, and that's yes. all the teams in Africa, right? No, I feel like I've missed one. And the, oh. Tunisia, yeah. And Oh, it was nil-nil. Yeah, Tunisia are from. Yeah. There we go, and good. Uh, yeah. Dean Emmy must be super happy, our friend Dean, to see that Algeria are out. But both, both Morocco and Tunisia are in. You can console yourself. Mohamed Salah's Egypt is also out of the World Cup. Yeah, I think that will be some that'll be some consolation to him. Um well, you can chat to him, Tommy. You, 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 and you and Dean can do something while the World Cup's on, and while we're all supporting teams. Look, you know what? I, I'm <laughs> just gonna before we go to North America. Um, I just wanted to say that at the beginning of June, I, I can't remember the date right now, but there will be the the first finalissima between the winners of the Euros and the winners. Oh, yeah, of the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of the of the um, Copa, uh, damn it, the name escapes me. Of the uh, international competition. 
of the Copa America, exactly. Yeah. And uh, I'm very worried about this game because this is going to be the only bit of a taste of international football that Italians are going to get for a while. And I am afraid that it's going to be... If we arrive in the state that we are right now, it could be a worrying result. And it's Argentina, right? Yeah, it's Argentina, Italy, yeah. Lautaro Martinez winner, and then Inter tear up his contract. (laughs) No, I I don't think they would care. But let's go to North America, where, Rory, we have received some criticism um, from my American friends. Oh, Actually, a friend right. who rarely follows our podcast, he messaged in the in the group chat that I have on WhatsApp with my American friends. He tagged me and was like, Tommy, if you are running the Twitter account of the podcast, I have a problem with you. And I said, oh, no, wait, it's not I think, me. I think I know the tweet already. Go on. <laughs> I said, no, it's not me. It's my mate. And he just responded, the British guy, right? And I was like, yep, <laughs> that's him. And the conversation <laughs> kind of died there. But Rory, what was the tweet about? Um, I think the one he's talking about was the picture of the American players holding up the banner saying, we've qualified a game too early. And I just tweeted saying, if... And then in brackets, <laughs> unlikely I know the US don't qualify. This will be the funniest picture in the history of football. I got no reaction to the tweet. Nobody said, which isn't unusual on our Twitter, I'll be honest. But I got no reaction to the tweet. But yeah, it's good to see that I still rattled somebody. So hello, whoever they, you are. <laughs> his, his name is Eddie. Do you want to send do you want to send him a message? No, no, I think I've done my job. <laughs> Great. The United States. Hey. They thought they had qualified one game too early, but then... It's cocky. It's cocky. Like, it's very American. And they lost their last game against Costa Rica. 2-0 goals by Vargas and Conteras in the space of eight minutes in the second half. But the United States still managed to clinch the third spot and go directly to the Qatar World Cup. Mexico win their last match against El Salvador, 2-0, and Canada finish top of the group on even points with Mexico. The fourth uh, spot is occupied by Costa Rica with 25 points, and they are going to be playing the World Cup uh, playoffs, the intercontinental playoffs against New Zealand. And I believe they have quite a chance. Yeah, they should get through that. They should get through that. They should get through. Rory, favorites for the World Cup thus far. There are still three spots to be decided. Who do you think is going to go through? Who do you think is going to win it? Sorry. Oh, who do you think is going to win the World Cup? That's just say it. Wrong predictions only. Okay. Uh, I'm going to jinx it. England. I'm going to say Brazil. All right. We have it. Brazil-England final? That would be exciting. Oh, God. <laughs> 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 can it not be can it not be England Sweden? Oh damn it, they didn't get through. Also, <laughs> sorry, this is the first World Cup where Nigeria and Argentina aren't gonna play each other since ni- since ninety-four or something. I can't remember the record now. Uh they play each other every World Cup, it's not gonna happen. It should be England Sweden final, but Sweden aren't gonna be there. Sweden aren't going to be there. Well, however, I have to say, if you do win the final against Brazil, you would make double the history. Not only a World Cup, but a World Cup final one against Brazil. Can you imagine the headlines in the UK? (laughs) Tommy, let's just say it's a good job this camera only goes to my waist at the idea of that. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Great. So by the time you're listening to this pod, uh, to this pod, probably you will already know the World Cup draw. So the official groups, what they will look like. Spoiler alert: Italy is not going to be there. However. There are some rumors that Iran might be disqualified, that in my opinion, it's utter bullshit. Um, but if they are disqualified, because they, di they didn't allow women uh, in their last uh, international fixture in the stadium, it was considered human rights abuse. And so right now, they are discussing whether they're going to be let play the World Cup or not. Upon seeing how much uh, human rights abuse there is all over the place in this next World yeah. Cup... Oh, God, I don't want to put my foot in it. I'm not going to have a fresh take on that. I think it's... Yeah, yeah. There are plenty of other human rights abuses. I'm not minimalizing that one. No, me neither. But there me are neither. plenty of others that maybe FIFA should be paying more attention to. Yeah, I agree 100% with you. I'm yeah. saying exactly the same thing. And I feel like if I try to add more words, it's I'm gonna just going to take a whole thing. Myself, so, yeah. so let's just jump to our weekly topic if we are done with our World Cup qualifiers. There is one last thing to say. Rory is giving me hand signals, smoke signals. What's the problem? Just very, very quickly, we need to talk about the record has been broken for the attendance of a women's football game in the Women's Champions League, Barcelona versus Real Madrid. It was a 5-2 win for Barcelona, 8-3 on aggregate. And guys, you need to check out these goals. There was two goals in particular that absolutely blew my mind. Um, the goal from Zonotha for, for Real Madrid, where she scores from about 50-odd yards out, and Claudia Pina for Barcelona, beautiful chip to the far post. But honestly, the first four goals, not including the penalty, are all ridiculous goals. It was yep. a really great game. Unbelievable to see the new camp fall. I've seen all the accounts I follow, like the report on women's football, her game too. Lots of great accounts just saying this is a huge moment. And companies like Dazone have just done so much for the women's game of like publicizing it, making it like giving it that first step up that it needs for it to be like on a level pegging with the men's champions league. Um, also, if you haven't sat and watched this Barcelona team, they are one of the greatest football teams on the planet. Like yeah. they are unbelievable. The football they play is beautiful. Uh, Puteas, they've got so many great players. I've sat and watched a few of their games and it's always, always entertaining. And Arsenal are really good at women's football. So that's nice as well. Yeah. And it gives, it's just fun. I think if, uh, if honestly we get to the same level of following, it would be fun to have two national teams to support um, with the same spirit that you would support your man's mm -hmm. national team. So maybe we can qualify for the World Cup with much more ease. And twice and... the disappointment for English fans. Yeah, <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So Rory, what are we going to discuss in the weekly topic? In the weekly topic, we are going to talk about the last leg of the seasons. We're going to talk about the title races, the top fours and the relegations. Let's do it. Somebody is worried about this final stretch of the national leagues. And that guy is the guy who is speaking, Tomas Vadami, since this very I'm weekend. I'm going to say two people are worried about what's going to happen at there, the end of this season. There you go. Yeah. This very weekend, Inter take on Juventus. And in this section, we are going to thoroughly analyze all the remaining games until the very last match day both in the Premier League and in Serie A. I'm very excited about this bit. 
also because I'm definitely going to make a fool of myself. But Rory, off you go. Let's start in the Premier League. So Premier League, are we starting at the top, at the bottom, in the middle? Where are we stopping? Let's start at the bottom, I would say. Start at the bottom. Controversial, I like it. Okay, so we're going to look at which teams are involved in the relegation battle and which are the games that really stand out in terms of importance and my prediction of how many points they'll get and who is going to go down. So the teams and the table at the moment currently has... Um, Everton right down there as they are on 25 points in 17th place, just above the relegation zone. Below them, we have Watford in 18th on 22 points. And then in 16th, we have Leeds on 29 points. So the games played are all over the place. So Leeds have played 30 games, Everton have played 27, and Watford have played 29. So there's still a lot of room to kind of be maneuvered here. But as we've seen, Leeds, who are highest in 16th, they've won their last two, had a bit of a resurgence under Jesse Marsh. Everton won their last game, but have been in terrible form under Frank Lampard. And Watford, slightly improving under Hodgson, but still not looking great. So I'm going to quickly go through their fixtures and which games stand out. So for Leeds, they've got, I think, arguably the hardest running. Um They've got Southampton at home, Watford away, Chelsea at home, Palace away, City at home, Arsenal away, Brighton at home, Brentford away. So they're playing a lot of the teams that are at the top of the table um, or towards the top of the table. The games for them that stand out are they do have to play Watford. They have to play Brighton and Brentford. Now, these are teams that I think they can get something against. Watford, they beat earlier on in the season 1-0. Brighton, they drew with. And Brentford, they drew with. These are the games for me that Jesse Marsh has to be looking at. Forget the other games. Concentrate on them. If you win those three games, I think you can stay up because the teams around you have... They they are not in good form and they have difficult games coming up. So I think Leeds, out of the games they have left, I've got them down for a win against Watford, um, a win against Southampton, and then a draw against Brighton, a draw against Brentford. This would give them 10 points and would put them on 39 points in general. The win against Southampton, I'm not certain on, but that's just a kind of hunch I have. Um, elsewhere, Everton... Now, as I look at their running, Leeds don't have the hardest running. Everton have the hardest running. Are you ready for this, Tommy? Because it's ridiculous. I'm, I'm looking at it on my phone as you're about to go. They have West Ham away, Burnley at home, United at home, Palace at home, Leicester at home, Liverpool away, Chelsea at home, Leicester away, and then Arsenal away. They have That is a ridiculous run for them. And I think with the form we've seen them in, I can't see a single game there where they can get a win. I've got them down for a draw against Burnley because it's at home. Maybe they get a win against Burnley. But can you see them winning any of those other games? Man, I don't know. It looks really, really tough. We can say All I can say about Everton is that history is on their side. They've never been relegated, correct? Um, yes, they've never been relegated for. Yeah, they've never been relegated. Um, so that's the only. That's really that's the only it. lifeline. <laughs> that's that's, that's really the only lifeline that they have. Also, because they're very inconsistent, they lose a lot of games, and they think that a few more 
zero point games are coming their way. Um, the only thing for them is with Arsenal, they've beaten Arsenal in the last three times we've played them. So maybe they will get a win against Arsenal because we do seem to shit the bed against them. But I think they have got by far the most difficult running. So even if I say they beat Arsenal, they get four points across that run, which puts them on 29 points and still puts them bang in trouble. I think... I think I think Everton are done. I honestly I, I can't see I can't see Lampard turning this around. We saw with the Crystal Palace performance, we've seen with the performances consistently, they've just not been good enough. So the only other team left is Watford. Now Watford have got some pretty big games against a lot of top sides, and this is I think what keeps Leeds safe. Um so Watford have got Liverpool away, Leeds at home. As I said, I think Leeds will get that, will get the win there. Um, Brentford at home, City away, Burnley at home, Palace away, Leicester at home, Chelsea away. So their last three games, Palace, Leicester, and Chelsea, I don't think they get anything there. Burnley, maybe they get a draw. Liverpool and City away, very little chance of that happening. I think the games they need to focus on are Leeds, Brentford and Burnley. But as I said, I've got them down for losing against Leeds, a draw against Brentford and a draw against Burnley, which would leave them with two points across this run and 23 points. So the two teams I think are going down are Everton and Watford. Should we go to Serie A? Should we go to the top of the Premier League or should we go to the relegation? In I think we do relegation, relegation, top four, top four. I am down. So in Serie A, who have we got at the very bottom of the table? I'm going to be analyzing the three teams that are currently in the drop zone plus one. The plus one is Cagliari, sitting at 17th place with 25 points, followed by Venezia in 18th place with 22, followed by Genoa in 19th place with 22, and finally the Salernitana in 20th place with 16 points. Now, if we look at their form, they go exactly in this order. And not like Cagliari's form is incredible, but it's better than the other four teams. However, it's very exciting because there are going to be four direct matchups in this relegation battle. Oof. The easiest run, easiest, so to say, is for Cagliari. The toughest run is for Salernitana, who have also got two games in hand. And so they will have to play, um, they will have to play two games more than their opponents. My prediction is that Cagliari are going to make it. They're going to stay in Serie A. And Venezia, Genoa and Salernitana are going to go down. Now, let's see what the games are. Uh, this match day, we've got Udinese Cagliari, Spezia Venezia, Verona Genoa, and Salernitana Torino. And unfortunately for Salernitana and Genoa, I just see a lot of losses. Cagliari, the only very big uh, game that they have is against Juventus, which is in two games. Then we've got Venezia Udinese, Genoa Lazio, and Roma Salernitana. And here again, I cannot see Genoa and Salernitana getting mm. anything. However, Venezia against Udinese, they could get a point, maybe, or even a win. Who knows? Um, then it's followed by Cagliari Sassuolo, Fiorentina Venezia, AC Milan, Genoa, and Sampdoria Salernitana. This is, again, Sampdoria are starting to look better. Um, I don't see Genoa and Salernitana getting anything. 
Cagliari Sassuolo, this could be also another loss for Cagliari. Mm-hmm. And then we've got the first game in hand for Salernitana, which is going to be against Udinese. However, here it gets very tough for Salernitana because in the matter of seven days, they're going to play Udinese, Fiorentina, and then there is the first important m- matchup, direct matchup against Venezia. Uh, before this game in hand, we have Genoa-Cagliari, which is another direct fixture, Venezia-Atalanta, and as I've already said, Salernitana-Fiorentina. We then proceed with Cagliari-Verona, Juventus-Venezia, Sampdoria-Genoa, and Atalanta-Salernitana. But it really kicks off in the final three match days of the season because in the second to last, we've got Salernitana versus Cagliari. And on the very last match day, we've got Venezia against Cagliari. So Cagliari have got three direct matchups against their direct opponents. If they make, I don't know, if they make six points in those three games, they are safe. So... I think that that's the unfair advantage, we could say, that Cagliari have over their opponents. There is also a team that if you follow Serie A, you might be yelling at me for not considering, which is Spezia. But Spezia are four points over Cagliari. And I think that if they manage their energies well, they get a few clutch wins, they should be safe. So my final prediction is that Cagliari stays up, Venezia, Genoa and Salernitana go down. And if Venezia go down, honestly, I will pop a bottle of champagne because it's been long due that they just sit in Serie B for a second and they think of how to rebuild their team. Very fair. Very, very fair. Okay. Um, Time to do the top four in the Premier League. Let's do it now. I have tried to be as objective as possible. I sat down and looked at the form. I sat down and looked at the head-to-heads against each other. And I looked at it objectively. And I have Arsenal making top four by one point. And this is that I'm already thinking I've said that we're going to draw at Chelsea. And if we lose that, then we're level on points for Tottenham. This is going to be super close. So I'm going to very, very quickly go through the games that we have and how it's looking. So the three teams that I'm taking into consideration for the top four are, of course, Arsenal, Tottenham Hotspur, and Manchester United. Now, Arsenal have arguably the hardest running. As I looked at the fixtures, I was like, oh, damn, there's a lot of games here, which are actually pretty rough. Um, The next three games, we've got Palace away, Brighton at home, and Southampton away, which on paper look okay. But Palace, we've drawn four out of the last five games against. This is a team that we have struggled against. Then Brighton, we lost at home against them last season, but we did beat them this season. And then Southampton, Whenever it comes to a key game against Southampton, I always get flashbacks to 2015. We were top of the table. They hadn't won in 10 games and we lost 4-0. So I never, never feel confident going to Southampton. Once those games are out of the way, we then have Chelsea away, United at home, West Ham away. That three-game run is massive. Now, Chelsea, we've weirdly got an all right record against Chelsea, despite losing 2-0 against them this season in that mad three-game start to the season. Um, They haven't beaten us at Stamford Bridge since 2018, and we won there 1-0, despite it being an incredibly, incredibly lucky uh, win last season. So I think Chelsea away will be a difficult game, but I'm not that scared about that game. 
United at home. Again, we've got a pretty decent record against United at home of late. We lost to them this season 3-2, but United last won at the Emirates in 2017. We've not conceded against them at home in three games. This is a game that scares me a little bit more because I think if there's any game that United are going to turn up for, it's against Arsenal, like they did last time. It was two teams that played pretty well. On another day, I think we deserved a point, but Ronaldo was there. And as long as Ronaldo's against Arsenal, they've always got a choice or they've always got a chance. And then it's West Ham away, which is a massive game. We've beaten them four out of the last five times, but we did draw three all at the London Stadium last season. So I feel like those are the three games that really stand out. After that, we've got Leeds at home. We usually do very well against Leeds. The Spurs game is penciled in for that point. Now, this is the game that terrifies me the most. Spurs away. We've not won away at Tottenham in the Premier League since 2014. Um, Thomas Rosicki got the goal in a 1-0 win. This would be like a huge mental hurdle for the team. This would like If we got a win there, it would be like a massive ticked box of like, we can do this. I've got us down for drawing. I think we'll get something. I'm just not confident we'll beat them. Then the last two games at the end of the season, we have Newcastle at home and Everton at home, which on paper, <clears throat> sorry, should be straightforward games. But as I said, Everton have beaten us the last three times we've played. Now, across that run, I've got us getting 20 points, which is maybe a bit optimistic, which would put us on 74 points. So for the big games, I've said that we get a draw at Chelsea. Um, I'm still questioning that one. I've said we draw to United at home, we draw to West Ham, and we draw to Tottenham. So even without winning any of those games, the big games, I still put us on 74 points. For Tottenham, they have Newcastle at home, Villa away, Brighton at home, Brentford away, Leicester at home, Liverpool away. Those are the two games that I think are quite tough for Spurs. Burnley at home, Arsenal at home, then Norwich away. As I looked at Spurs' running, I was like, actually, they've got a lot of games they should be winning. Like, arguably, the next four, five games, they could win. Newcastle, Villa, Brighton, Brentford and Leicester, they could win all of those games. Um, so I think Tottenham are looking in pretty good shape. Liverpool away, they'll probably lose. I've got them drawing against Arsenal, and I've got them getting 22 points over that run, which would put them on 73. Key, one behind Arsenal. Um, <laughs> I think, I, honestly, Tommy, tell me if you think I'm being unrealistic with any of these, or if you think I'm being biased. I've tried to be as like as objective as I, as I can. Just to wait for my takes, Rory. I'll just tell you that. Okay. Just to okay. wait until we jump to Serie A. Look, I think doing this job, it was the first time that we did it, really sit down and analyze every game. And I've tried to do it objectively, as you were saying, by looking at the form, looking at the, the, the previous fixtures that they've had against each other. And I think I've been mildly realistic of... And I tried not to look at the prediction. Like, I counted the points only mm -hmm. at the end. But again, just wait for me to go about Serie A. I think, I think what it, there is nothing incredible that you said that I was just like, that's utter bullshit. I was just okay. like, right? Well, that's, that could all happen. I'll take that. I'll take yeah, that. Right? <laughs> then the third team we have is Manchester United. Now, they have coming up, they have Leicester at home. Um United lost their last two in the Premier League against Leicester, 4-2 earlier this season, and lost 2-1 at Old Trafford last season. Um, 
and they've not beaten Leicester since two since 2020. So a bit of a team that they struggle against. Then they have Everton away. That's a win. Norwich at home. So there's two games where they really should do well. Liverpool away, followed by Arsenal away. Now that is a massive... Those two games for United are huge. I don't think they're going to get anything at Anfield. I've got them down for a draw at the Emirates. Then after that, it gets a little bit easier with Brentford at home, Brighton away. Then they finish with Chelsea at home and Palace away. Now, I think Chelsea at home, the last three games between those teams have been draws. It's been nil-nil, one-one, nil-nil, so I put it down for a draw. The last time United won at Stamford Bridge was in 2020, two-nil, goals from Maguire and Marshall. Palace away, they beat Palace at home one-nil earlier this season. And these teams, it's been a team that United have struggled against um, over the past couple of years. Roy Hodgson isn't there anymore, but he did really like getting one over Manchester United. I think Palace away could be a tricky game for United. Over that run, I've got them getting 18 points, which puts them on 68 points. So I got them um, drawing against Leicester, a win against Everton, win against Norwich, losing to Liverpool, drawing against Arsenal, beating Brentford, beating Brighton, drawing against Chelsea and beating Palace. That puts them on 18 points, 68 points, which means they would finish sixth. Um, I've tried to be as objective as possible. I realised that probably Arsenal are going to lose against either Chelsea, United or Tottenham, which does take away that one point that makes a difference. But I think our goal difference at the moment, (laughs) at the moment, we're already looking at goal difference, is two goals better than Tottenham? So I, I don't know. I'm I basically it's going to be close. It's going to be a close one. Are we done in the Premier League? We're done. We are done. Now brace yourselves, guys. I generally, I'm telling you, I calculated in the order that they are. So AC Milan, Napoli, Inter, and Juventus. I calculated on separate post-its. And then I just put it all on a piece of paper. And when I saw what it meant, I was just like, oh, my God. If this happens, it might mean that in the third season of the Anglo-Italian pod, I won't be there because I will have a heart attack on the last (laughs) match day. Let's start. So I'll start by saying that I do believe that AC Milan, Napoli, Inter and Juventus are going to finish as the top Mm -hmm. four in Serie A. However, not in this order. Overall view. AC Milan and Napoli have the toughest runs. AC Milan are going to take on opponents like Torino, Lazio, Fiorentina, and Atalanta and Sassuolo on their last two match days. That's some difficult games. That's some difficult games, especially Sassuolo. Sassuolo are a bastard. Atalanta at home and Sassuolo away. Napoli, the first three games back into club football are going to be this weekend against Atalanta away, against Fiorentina at home, and against Roma again Oh, at home. God. It always falls quite badly for Napoli, eh? It always falls quite badly. It does indeed. And then also Sassuolo and Torino. Oh, my Inter Milan... On the other hand, I've got a direct matchup against Juventus and then one against Roma. Another opponent that I don't think is going to be that easy, and in fact, I predicted the draw, is Verona. For the rest, Mm. it should be pretty straightforward. However, 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 
we have to consider that recently Inter Milan have been playing like shit, drawing against the teams that were unqualificably, I would say, in Italian and really struggling in games mm-hmm. that should have been easy, easy-ish wins. Let's start from Juventus. And here is already the first thing that might make you roll your eyes. <laughs> this weekend, we've got Juventus against Inter Milan. And I see Inter winning this game. I see Inter winning this game because we need it badly. When and was I the think... last time you won at Juventus? Ooh, the last time that we won at Juventus? Just let me check very, very quickly. I've got the stats right in front of me. The last time we won at Juventus was... <clears throat> well, let's just say that I haven't found it yet. So let's I jump. Think, I think I saw something today was that you had Milito, Cassano and someone Palacio. else up front. Palacio. Yeah, yeah maybe, maybe. Yeah, I think maybe that was the time. But this is going to be the second one. Right? Nevertheless, yeah. Well, that has Nevertheless. to happen at some point. It has to happen at some point. So I say that Juventus get zero points on this match day. Then they get a win against the Cagliari. They get a win against Bologna. And they lose away at Sassuolo. Now, remember Ooh. this name because okay. I think that Sassuolo are going to have a massive saying in mm-hmm. who eventually... Uh, shows the Scudetto to their chest. Um, then we've got, uh, on the 35th match day, Juventus-Venezia, win for Juventus, Genoa-Juve, another win, Juve-Lazio, another win, and on the last match day, they get a big L against the Fiorentina away from home. I like I want... that narrative. I'm not... <laughs> I like the narrative. I don't know if that's true, but I like the narrative. I want to think that on the last <laughs> match day, away from home, Fiorentina just like play, they will be on the beach at that point and they just play for sheer pride. That's going to 90... be a full-on assault, that game. It's Nin- be 90 war. minutes of Vlaovic abuse <laughs> and just like, a, I don't know, just like a messy goal at the 93rd minute and Fiorentina win 3-2. That's what I see. <laughs> this means that if this was to go this way, Juventus finish fourth with... 74 points. Let's move to the third one uh, in the standings right now. Inter Milan. So after the easy win away at Juventus, right? Yeah, yeah, Inter, yeah, yeah. Mil- Inter Milan take on Verona, and that's a draw. Then they take on Spezia, and that's a win. And then they draw against Roma. Finally, we have a date for the game in hand against Bologna. It's on the 27th of April, and that is going to be a win for the Nerazzurri. Another win against Udinese, and here it's just wins, guys. Get ready. Another win against Udinese. (laughs) Another win... I love the- how you've gone from we've really been struggling to beat the teams we should beat at the moment. I just win, 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 win. I want to think that in these two weeks <laughs> at a piano gentile, they really sat down and made a calendar like I did and really analyzed every <laughs> single game. Here, this game we can drop points. Here, we can't. Inter Empoli win, Cagliari Inter win, and on the last match day at the San Siro, Inter Sampdoria win. <sighs> Okay, why now it sounds like a lot of consecutive wins, but at the same time, Inter Milan have got the longest unbeaten streak in Serie A this season. It wasn't all wins, but 14 games unbeaten Mm -hmm. consecutively. So 
We did it at the beginning of the season. I don't see why we shouldn't be able to do it now. I do okay. believe that that slump that we went through uh, was just a bad period of things not working out. And I want to, I really want to think of these players coming back from international duty with like, all right, we are going to the World Cup. We're not going to the World Cup. Now I can commit fully to my club. Inter finish with 83 points. But I'm not going to tell you about Napoli and Milan yet. Let's leave it for the very end. We've got Napoli then. Napoli take on Atalanta on the next game. So this very weekend. And I think that's going to be a draw. Then they take on Fiorentina and Roma at home. And they think that those are going to be two wins. Mm, they also I think win. That's fair. I think that's they fair. also win away against Empoli. They win at home against the Sassuolo. They draw against the Torino away from home, and then they win. I, I'm not sure about that one, but okay. And then they win against Genoa on the penultimate match day, and against the Spezia away from home on the last match day, which puts them at 83 points, even with Inter Milan, okay? I think the, the only one is Torino, because I think they've been terrible. The only one, I think, is Torino. But Torino, man, to, Torino have a good defense. It's difficult to score against the mm. Torino. Um, and I think I think Torino are going to put up a bit of a fight. So, we said Juventus in fourth place with 74, and then we've got Napoli and Inter on even points with 83, which would put Inter ahead because they did win the game against the Napoli. Convenient, that. Yeah, yeah. And finally, <laughs> and finally let's get to AC Milan. And keep in mind that AC Milan, if they were to finish on even points with Inter, for example, they would win the league, okay? Because they have yeah. that, that direct win. And also against Napoli, same thing. They would have the direct win. So if they finish on even points, they've got that card up their sleeve that they can play. However, I, I was analyzing AC Milan's form and their longest uh, winning streak this season has been three games. They are on it currently. Okay. They are on a three-game winning streak. And I think they are going to extend it this very weekend with a win at home against Bologna. Then they draw away at Torino. Again, I think that Torino is going to... <laughs> really, to... really beating that Torino drum. Yeah, Torino yeah, is yeah, the swallow. Yeah. Just, just you wait. The AC Milan one is fun. So they draw against the Torino. They win against Genoa. And they lose at the Olimpico against the Sarri's Lazio. Then they win against the Fiorentina. They win against Verona. They win against Atalanta at home because that's going to be their last match day at home. And then on the last match day of the season, they blow it away at Sassuolo. <laughs> Finishing. Could, okay, yeah, yeah, go. go with on. 82 points, <laughs> one <laughs> below Inter and Napoli and Nerazzurri are the champions of Italy on even points with Spalletti's <laughs> Azzurri. I think the Lazio game, I disagree. Lazio haven't turned up in a single big game this season. That would be the first one, bud. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. I suppose they have to win one of them, right? They have to win one of them. Yeah, I don't know, guys. I don't know. Exciting times. Exciting times. Exciting times. If it goes to the last match day with AC Milan, Napoli, and Inter all playing for the title, I'm going to buy a defibrillator. You know, the thing that jumpstarts your heart. You're going to have a heart attack. I, 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 look, if, 
I don't know. I, it was the first time that I broke it down like that, and I started from AC Milan no, and I think... went to Inter. I think that Inter owe it to their fans and to the club to just go on a on a steady streak a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's going to be a close. It's going to be close. I think it's going to be that close. I just don't know if it's going to be that close in that way. <laughs> I think it's going to be close. And AC Milan also have blown a seven point lead at the beginning of the season. Let's not forget that. If uh, you know, but. It's the Angry Italian pod. Wrong predictions only. This was my two cents. Actually, more than two cents. It was pretty detailed. This is my one euro. My two euro. <laughs> oh, you spoil us. On the end of the season, let's see. It all kicks off this very weekend with Inter against Juventus. Shall we take a look at the Premier League and the Serie A uh, fixtures this very weekend? Let's do it. We've got the title race in England, and then we can do... The fixtures, right? Now, the title race in England is obviously between the same two teams. It seems to always be between at the moment. We have Man City in first place on 70 points, having played 29 games. And Liverpool on second place on 69 points, we having played 29 games. So, both of these teams... I was looking at their run-ins and I just very quickly realized it doesn't bloody matter, really. Every game, you're like, win, 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 win. Um, so for Liverpool, they have Watford at home, win. Then they have Man City away, right? This is the game that it all hinges on. This is the game that the title race has decided because I think between both these teams, they basically win every other game of the season. Um now, Liverpool haven't beaten City in the last four games. Their last win against City was on the 10th of November 2019, a 3-1 win at Anfield, which was the year they won it. Um, goals from Fabinho, Salah and Mane, that was the year they won the Premier League, right? The last time they won at the Etihad um, was in the Champions League in 2018, the quarterfinal 2-1 win, the Carrius year. Um, and the last time they won in the Premier League, in the Etihad, was again in 2018 in that mad 4-3 win, goals from Ox, Salah, Firmino and Mane. That was the year that Man City won the league as Centurions. Now, this is the game that everything hinges on. Beyond that, Liverpool have got United at home. I think they win that. They've got Everton at home. I think they win that. Newcastle away, they're going to win that. Spurs at home, they're going to win that. Southampton away, same and then Wolves at home. So I think it really does all hinge on that game. For Man City, they have Burnley at home. That's a W. Liverpool at home. Now, I'm going to say what I think will actually happen in that game after all this. Um, Then they have Brighton at home, win. Watford at home, win. Leeds away, win. Newcastle at home, win. West Ham away, win. Villa at home, win. Like I think this is going to be like the perfect run for both teams at the end of the season. Calling that game, it's impo- It's impossible. I do not know who's going to win that game. I keep thinking that Pep is going to overthink it and Liverpool will somehow get a win there. I think we what we've seen with Liverpool, especially towards this part of the season now, with the Inter game, with the Arsenal game, with a few games of late, that just cold, dead stare in their eyes of just, we are, we will kill you. And they've got the options off the bench and the way their options affect games with that like dynamic pace, just aggression, violence off the bench. I think 
that they would be able to affect a game more quickly and more drastically than a City substitution would. And I think something tiny like that is what's going to decide that game. So I think Liverpool get a win at the Etihad and that seals them the title, basically. But I think it's going to be two points in it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Liverpool are going to make it at the end. As you were saying, I was thinking the same thing. They don't even need to play for 90 minutes. They just need that 20 minutes from the mm-hmm. 70th to the 90th to turn the game around, catch the catch the opponent off their guard, and they're, they're through. So I think but on the same hand, I think I almost forget how good City are. <laughs> I kind of forget how good they are. Um, and they are able to completely suffocate games. I just think Liverpool with... With the level of aggression, as I've said, I'm repeating myself, but the level of aggression and pace that they use, that they can just catch City on that day and bring on someone like Luis Diaz, bring on someone like, if they bring Salah off the bench, like they've just got that bit more, like they just throw a grenade on the pitch and it kind of upsets everyone. Um, So I think they're going to get it at the Etihad, but it's going to be a great title race. And I think these are two teams like that, two of... It goes without saying, I suppose, but two of the greatest teams in Premier League history and they're duking it out again. So it's going to be a great title race. So Liverpool and Inter, champions respectively of (laughs) England and Italy. But I'm going to say one thing. If I nailed this prediction, I'm just going to just, I don't know, I'm just going to pat myself on the shoulder repeatedly. for like Honestly, just take one euro, right? Uh Go into the betting shop and just bet on that just in case. Just go, I want all of these results, (laughs) right? Here's one euro. You'd win. You'd be richer than Jeff Bezos. (laughs) Yeah, it would be. It would be almost suspicious. Like, I don't know. I've traveled back in time. You know, like, how can you get all those results? Of course, it's impossible. It's the Anglo Italian pod. We love wrong predictions. No, but just today... for the chance, Tommy. One euro. Just yeah, for the yeah, chance. Yeah, right, right. Like the Leicester fan back in the day at the beginning yeah, of the yeah. season, right? 5,000 to one. What was the odds? Yeah, 5,000 to one. Yeah, 5,000 to one. He stuck like 100 pounds on it, right? All right. Quickly, we are going to preview the games in the Serie A and the Premier Leagues. And the Premier League, it's only one still. Let's start in Serie A. We have already seen some of the games. It all kicks off at 3 p.m. Central European time between Spezia and Venezia. Very interesting game looking at the drop zone. And then at 6 p.m. we've got Lazio Sassuolo, 8.45 Salernitana Torino. Busy Sunday, it kicks off at 12.30 with the Tuscan Derby, Fiorentina-Empoli at 3 p.m. Atalanta-Napoli, this should be a good one. And also Udinese-Cagliari, 6 p.m. Sampdoria-Roma and at 8.45, Juventus-Inter-Milan. On Monday night, we've got Elas Verona-Genoa at 6.30 p.m. And it all wraps up with Milan-Bologna at 8.45. What have we got in England, Rory? In England, we have a big weekend. It kicks off on Saturday at... Let's do Central European time, let's just call it. On Saturday (laughs) at half past one, we have Liverpool taking on Watford. That is followed by the four o'clock kickoffs of Brighton versus Norwich City, Burnley versus Manchester City, Chelsea versus Brentford in a West London derby. I think Brentford is West London, can't remember. It's London, I don't know where, but it's London. It is London. It's definitely London. Um, Leeds versus Southampton. A black country derby with Wolves taking on Aston Villa. That was a great game earlier on in the season. um, Wolves snatching a 3-2 win at the death from being 2-0 down. So that could definitely be a game to keep an eye on. And then the late game on Saturday, Harry Maguire, fresh from being booed by all the England fans, is going to have Leicester City fans turn up 
to probably boo him. Um, that is at half past six on Saturday, Manchester United, Leicester City. That is going to be a very good game. Then on Sunday, we have West Ham taking on Everton at three o'clock. Tottenham taking on Newcastle at half past five. And then on Monday, we have Crystal Palace taking on Arsenal at Selhurst Park. Some big games. I'm kind of gutted I have to wait till Monday to watch Arsenal, I'll be honest. Um, But it gives us a bit more rest. That is the Premier League this weekend. Enjoy, guys. And we're going to send you off with a quote that I thought was particularly fitting, uh, considering what I said one week ago on this very podcast. Giampiero Ventura was interviewed by Le Iene, an Italian TV show, and he spoke out about the situation and the state of the Italian national team. It goes like this. Four years ago, for everybody, it was one man's fault and one man's fault only. And that man was me. Today, it's clear to everybody that the system is flawed. I've been living with this pain within me for four years. And the last Thursday, with the defeat against Macedonia, that pain came back stronger than ever. Winning the European Championship was just a smoke bomb over the problem. Our system is late. We are very short-sighted. And that's also the reason why we got out at the World Cup group stages, both in 2010 and in 2014. As an Italian and as a supporter of the Italian national team, I am happy that Roberto Mancini is staying as the team manager. However, it's about time that the system is revolutionized. I do agree with you 100%, Giampiero. We are going to talk to you again on Monday night with our live stream on YouTube and Twitch. Remember to follow us on Instagram at AngloItalianPod and on Twitter at ItalianAngloPod. Have a good footballing weekend and Forza Inter. Let's go, boys! 